With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. For one more beer for me, exile means quality, so savagely. HN Podcast. I'm John Miller along with Steve Dace. Time to talk about Iowa's heartbreaking 30-24 loss at Penn State from this weekend. Uh, Iowa played horribly on offense and yet they had not one but two chances to win the game late, including a turnover with first and goal at the three-yard line on first down trying to pass the ball. I talked about a little bit Saturday. Steve, why don't you go ahead and uh, share your thoughts with us? Well, you know what? I'm not going to go that far now that I think about it because the season's not over. Okay. And uh, so I'll I'll rephrase this. I I will say potentially if I were an Iowa fan, this would be one of the more difficult losses of the Ference era. Given what was at stake and, and how and why we lost, um, you know, the overthrow on that fourth and one, uh, the interception uh, at the goal line with a combination of a lack of communication, laziness, frankly, on fans' part, uh, the referees not recognizing the coaches calling for the timeout. <clears throat> Pardon me. Th- those are those two plays could be the difference between we're in Indianapolis or in a New Year's Six and or in a New Year's Six Bowl or, you know, we're in the Holiday Bowl. And that's a great destination. And almost every Iowa fan listening to us would have taken that in August. But expectations change when you actually see what your team is capable of one way or another. And that would be a little bit like a pinstripe bowl come down uh, after what Uh, It seemed possible for this Iowa team prior to Penn State. I think what shocked me the most, you know, we don't really talk about this as often in football as we do basketball, where, you know, different tempos and styles more where you're where you, you you know, the, the amount of points you score per possession is higher or how often you score per possession, obviously is higher in basketball. It's a higher scoring game. And so, the ability to frame or tempo a game a certain way matters in, in, in every sport, but it just, it's just more of a prevalent conversation about pace and stuff in basketball. And I thought, you know, we've talked about, you know, the way Michigan state plays and they kind of sparty it up, make you play in the pitch. And if you've watched Penn state or you looked at their numbers this year, this is a, not a very efficient team. It's essentially a big player, nothing team. If you look at the two games, they lost, 
the games they lost to Ohio State and Michigan State, Ohio State's overall level of talent forced Penn State to execute and game manage from the sidelines for four quarters, and they weren't up to the task, and they they gave that game away. Uh, a game the Michigan State uh, forced them to you know play the Sparty it up and execute consistently for four quarters, and they weren't able to do it. The game they almost lost to Appalachian State, same exact thing. And heading into this week, this past weekend's games, Appalachian State was a was a you know a, a, an algorithm uh, darling of the SNPs and the ESPN FBIs because of their high efficiency marks on both sides of the field. Uh, so. This is a Penn State team that has really gotten by this year on just sure physical ability. They've sort of out-talented, out-athleted people. I mean, they were outgained at Pittsburgh, and they put up 50 points on them, thanks to a couple of big plays from Trace McSorley and, and K.J. Hamler, and that's that's kind of been their M.O. I mean, you look at the Michigan State game. They had two big runs from Miles Sanders. They had 59 yards on, like, the other 25 carries. And when you look at the stat line of this game, all I needed to know – is that um, both teams got into the 30s and neither team even came close to 400 total yards, which means this was not an efficient football game for either team. And that's what Penn State wants. They want, they're the opposite of Sparty, okay? Sparty wants to Sparty it up. Penn State wants to play a basketball game. They want to go on runs. Now, they don't want to have to play four quarters of execution, and that's what Iowa has traditionally done to teams. Typically, if you beat them, it's just because you have better players. You will rarely uh, beat them at their own game. And uh, Penn State, mainly because of the inefficiency at the quarterback position, who knows how much of that was that hand injury or not, because some of those throws just didn't look natural. But he wasn't playing that great before that moment either. So I just thought Iowa allowed Penn State to force them into the game Penn State wanted to play, which is even more disappointing given the way the game started, where Iowa got an excellent start and led uh, throughout uh, almost the entire first half. Uh, it's just um, it's a game that got away. It's a feeling Penn State fan has had quite a bit this year. And if Penn State, if if Penn State and Iowa now may have the two costliest losses in college football this season. Uh, the loss that Penn State had to Ohio State, and then Iowa came into the Penn State game. They had trailed the only team that had trailed fewer snaps this season than Iowa, Alabama. And it's just um, Iowa just lost its composure in this game and made itself susceptible to Penn State winning on a few big plays, which is how Penn State needs to win. And that's exactly what happened. Well, I did not know that about the uh, the trailing and plays there. Um, you said both teams got in the 30s. Iowa got to 24, but they very well should have got to 30 with that I'm turnover. Sorry, 20, 24. I, for, I kept forgetting they didn't score there. On yeah, the, I know. I know. My bad. Yeah. I, I, I can understand. Um, Iowa's offense scored zero points in this game. Defense had a pick six. There were two safeties. And then the rest were field goals. And Scott Dockerman, as we were recording this podcast, Scott Dockerman of TheAthletic.com tweeted this out. In games, in Iowa's games three through six, Nate Stanley was hitting 66% of his passes for 1,200 yards, 14 touchdowns, and four interceptions. In games one, two, seven, and eight, he's not hitting 46% of his passes for just 465 yards. That's in four games. 
two touchdowns and four interceptions. You'd mentioned his hand. It did happen late. Um, I, I don't know whether something happened before or not or, or what have you. There were some rumors last week against Maryland that, that Stanley may have missed some time in practice. I just don't know. But that looked like the guy from the first two games of the year who was going through everything incredibly fast. I even sped up in my instant reaction podcast what 78 RPMs used to sound like on record players for people that don't know what 78 RPMs means. He just went through everything too fast. And his footwork, he was throwing off the wrong foot a lot in this game like he did early in the year. And, and I hate saying this because he is just he's such he's the kind of player you want in your team. He does all the work. He's a great kid. So none, none of this is character assassination. This is just analysis of a football game. He played poorly and his play was pretty significant factoring into Iowa's loss. Now, that interception that he threw late, obviously, from now on, the rest of his life, he'll probably call a timeout there. Iowa had three timeouts, and there was under four minutes left, and it was first and goal to three. So he'll probably call timeout from now on. We, I mean, there's no greater teacher in life than, than pain. Pain is the, most, the teacher we pay most attention to and remember the most. At least it is for me. So he'll remember that. He did the right move by audibling into the play that he wanted. There just wasn't enough time. And clearly Noah Fant and the outside guys were not on the same page. So Stanley made the right read. He just didn't quite have a handle on the circumstance. So Nate Stanley, Steve, as, as Nate Stanley goes, so goes this team. And, and it's so painful because that should have been another win. Well, you've heard me say for years, John, you, you cannot hide your quarterback in college football. And I know even – you know, pre-Tua, there's this urban legend that Alabama's was not that great at the quarterback position. Um, it's just not true. I mean, if you look at the teams that won national championships for Alabama, only one of them had a quarterback that didn't go on and play in the NFL. Uh, and that was the year before Jalen Hurts won the starting job. Uh, prior to that, uh, you look at Greg McElroy. He played in the NFL for a few years. He was drafted. Uh, A.J. McCarron is still. Uh, in the NFL. The year that they lost to Ohio State in the playoff is when they had a converted running back at quarterback, and they didn't win the title that year. So even at Alabama, which is recruiting at a level against the rest of college football, I don't know, you know, they didn't, you know, recruiting rankings weren't what they were in 02 and 03, uh, when in 04, when USC was at its zenith and you know, we didn't really pay attention in the 80s when Miami was recruiting the state of Miami, as Jimmy Johnson and Howard Schnellenberger used to call it. But in the rate in the era of modern self-aware recruiting rankings, we've never seen a team dominate the landscape the way Alabama has. And even with all of the depth and athletes they have, they can't hide their quarterback either. Even at Alabama, as much as they out recruit an out athlete, everybody in almost every other position, they can't hide their quarterback either. And if you're going to have a quarterback play as badly as Nathan Stanley did, then you have to be so much better than the other team uh, at the other positions. I, I remember something Tim May at the Columbus Dispatch wrote after the Michigan-Ohio State game last year. And in his column, he wrote, Michigan outplayed Ohio State at 21 out of 22 positions. Well, unfortunately, though, the one they didn't outplay him at was a quarterback. And we still lost by 12 points. So that's what you saw on Saturday. I mean, and what you saw from Trace McSorley is what you've seen all year, too. He has not been an efficient passer all year. It's been kind of big play. 
He's been more resourceful than efficient. It's big play from his from his legs or his arm or nothing. They don't have the receivers coming down with those 50-50 balls for big plays that are, you know, really help your yards per play and yards per attempt average that the the analytics love. Uh, and so they don't have that ability. And so there's no one to throw the ball up to. So, you know, they have to make it kind of a sandlot. And I'm not surprised at McSorley's stats. I'm not surprised he wasn't more efficient. He hasn't been all year. But um, I, the fact that Iowa was even in the game mm-hmm. with how poorly they were, they really played with 10 guys on offense in this game. And the fact that Iowa was sitting there twice with the ball in the last five minutes at a chance to score the go-ahead points, I think is indicative of the uh, the trenches advantage that Iowa had in this game. And you know, if you go to if you're an Iowa fan now, I forgot about the Wisconsin game. So maybe both of those fan bases, Penn State and Iowa, are looking at two games they literally just handed the opposition, and are probably going to be asking themselves at the end of the season, what if. Yeah, they will be. And you know what's interesting? You, you remembered how that Wisconsin loss kind of stuck in my craw for quite some time. Matter of fact, still does. This one for me was much easier to digest. Still didn't like it. Still felt like Iowa gave the game away. But I didn't come out of this game feeling the way that I did after with the Wisconsin game that Iowa was clearly the better team. Iowa may be the better team than Penn State. But in the Wisconsin game through three quarters, Iowa's offense was averaging eight yards per play. This game, Iowa's offense was average, never was averaging you know four yards per play. Everything offensively was a challenge. It was too hard. So for some reason, this one was a little easier to swallow, maybe also because it was on the road. But um, I, I just didn't have that same sinking feeling. I think there's feeling. another factor, too. You didn't know what you know yet. You didn't know yet what you know now about Wisconsin. And right. so, you That's thought true. they you you thought they might lose to both Michigan and Penn State on the road. You figured they'd lose to at least one of them, and with you facing a road game at Penn State, that meant you know the margin for error of winning the division might have gone out the window by losing that head-to-head matchup. Right. The fact that Iowa is still every bit as alive in the West Division as it was before that before Saturday when Wisconsin lost to Northwestern, it's pretty much the same scenario you started the game with. Um, you can afford to lose at Penn State if Wisconsin loses two other games. Well, they've lost one of them now. You need them to lose another one, and they still play Purdue, and they still play uh, Penn State on the road. So if Iowa wins this Saturday and Wisconsin loses another game, in other words, you're pretty much where you were when you woke up on Saturday morning. Your right. perspective the grand perspective hasn't changed when, you know, back in September, it looked pretty possible at the most Wisconsin would lose one more game and that you just let that golden opportunity go by with two months left to go in the season. Now, you, you, you know, this was more of an opportunity cost than an actual loss. You had a chance to really grab this division by the throat and you missed out, but you're really right back to where you were before game started on Saturday. Yeah, you could be right about that. that and that, I did, had not contemplated that aspect, so it's probably buried somewhere uh, deep in the veneer of the uh, subconscious. So moving on. Well, if there's anything Iowa, I know, John, it is the subconscious of an Iowa fan. If there's anything I'm an expert on. <laughs> <laughs> um, Iowa is at Purdue this weekend, 2.30 afternoon kick again. Um, Purdue opened as a two-and-a-half-point favorite in this. Sparty was able to really manhandle. Purdue, uh, Jeff Brom saying today that saying that he felt believes Iowa is a better team than Michigan State. 
Um, I'm not sure if he was uh, throwing any barbs up there. Regardless of that, uh, Iowa has his hands full with Rondale Moore. I, I do like the alignment that Iowa has gone to a lot this year with Amani Hooker basically playing the outside linebacker position. I would fully expect to see that this week so that Geno Stone can also play back there at safety. So I, I think Iowa is better suited, Steve, to take on an attack like this than in any other time in the Ferentz era. What's your early read on this matchup? I think what's going to be fascinating about this game is both teams' quarterbacks come into this game off the worst games they've had this season. And if you go look at the Purdue-Michigan State game, it really just came down to David Blau, a fifth-year senior. And I don't even think it was – I mean, we're not even thinking – it wasn't even close. Rocky Lombardi, who played his high school ball five minutes from where I live, dramatically outplayed him. I mean, it just wasn't even close. Every metric you want to look like look at in the box score, Michigan State, we already knew they had the advantage in the trenches because typically the, the upper echelon of the East teams do. The one exception was the uh, aforementioned Iowa-Penn State game. Um, you knew they were going to have the advantage in the trenches, but you figured the inexperienced quarterback there for Michigan State, it was his first career start, and he really outplayed David Blau. So you got to think Blau will be eager to have a bounce-back game. I don't envision Nathan Stanley could possibly play worse than if he literally uh, tried throwing with his left arm. So you have two, the two guys at the most important position in this game are, are going to be uh, heavily fixated on redemption. It's an elimination game in the West division. It's at Purdue, but Iowa has been uh, well as a road favorite. They've been great. Uh, they did, depending on when you got into the Penn State game, it closed to Penn State at six and a half. So if you took Penn State then, you got the cover. If you if you took it when we did it at five, you didn't. So um, this is a this is a game. You know, I thought I had a really good read last week on the Iowa Penn State game. I liked Iowa a lot. This is a game I I'm I think is a real 50-50 game. And it you know when you look at the advanced metrics uh, advanced metrics uh, formulas, this game has been. Ever since Purdue beat Boston College, this game has been kind of a 52-48 game in the analytics either way for about the last month. So I, I think this is an absolute toss-up. I was just seeing another thing on Twitter here as we're doing this. Cody Hills, who is, um, has roots from my hometown in West Branch, saying through eight games, Iowa still has not had a 100-yard rusher. And in his 20 seasons as head coach, Ferentz has never gone eight games without a 100-yard rusher. Purdue has allowed four in eight games. Obviously, Iowa has three very capable running backs, and they're using them and mixing them and matching them. Um, Purdue this year, and I, I've listened to more Purdue than I've watched them, actually, which is interesting. But, you know, last year's defensive line was really good. This year, they're giving up more points. Do you see Do you see this as a type of trench game that Iowa could really make some hay? If Iowa can make it a trench game, that's the key. Mm. I, I think that Purdue's a more, I think Purdue is a slightly less explosive, but more efficient version of what Penn State does. I think they're a more efficient team on the offensive side. Um, I mean, David Blau is just not Trace McSorley. Rondale Moore is a really, is well, he's an incredible player. But, but there's a Saquon Barkley aspect to him. I, I think he had like 11 catches for 70 yards against Michigan State. And so what I mean by that is, you know, Saquon Barkley was having four touchdown games last year when he rushed for 59 yards uh, because there's other creative ways to get him the football. 
to use a, an analogy, I think if you haven't, if you're an Iowa fan, you haven't watched a lot of Purdue. Here's their offense. If you're John's age or you know thereabouts or a little bit older, go back and remember every time you called uh, sports talk radio in Iowa in 1997 and wondered why Iowa doesn't invent ways to get Tim Dwight the ball. Hmm. And that's their offense. Everything you wanted Hayden Fry to do in 1997 to make sure Tim Dwight got 15 or more touches a game is what Purdue does with Rondale Moore and Jeff Brown. That's their offense. And everything else kind of feeds off of that. And so if you're able to bottle him up, you know, the rest of the guys are, I mean, okay. Knox is an okay runner. Other receivers are okay. Uh, I think it's Hopkins, the other tight, the tight end. He's okay. They got a lot of guys that are okay. But the one guy that um, can be see it wouldn't want to be it is more. If you can keep him in front of you, um, they're more, they're more, uh, they, they execute better than Penn state consistently. If the weather's fine, you know, they're, they're, they're more eager or at least more, more likely to be successful if they have to go 70 or 75 yards for a touchdown. Um, but even when they do go those 70 or 75 yards, usually one of them at least is a big play to more, whether he drew a pass interference or he got a 28, 35 yard gain, et cetera. So I, I, I think the question becomes, can Iowa turn it in to a trench game? And they weren't able to do it at Penn State. They haven't been able to do it much of this season. They did it to Iowa State, but they haven't really done it against anybody with a pulse since then. And um, and and that's why I think the coaches have been better this season at mastering the the line that we've talked about between persistence and stubbornness. I think some of it is a recognition that you know, necessity is the mother of invention, as Shakespeare said. I think some of it's the recognition, like we just can't run the ball downhill the way we used to in the past. So when it, when when the temptation's not available to you, it's a lot easier to say no to it, John. Can I get an amen on that? Right. Right. So right. When, the, when, when you know you can't run against six man fronts consistently, let alone eight or nine man fronts, it becomes a little bit easier to say, yeah, guys, we're probably not going to run against that front. So let's get out of that play. Um, but in this case, I think the test is the other way for Iowa. I do not believe they'll win a track meet with Purdue. So I think they need to turn this into a game where they want to play the game more in the pitch. Now, the here's the interesting thing about this game, too, is both teams just played an opponent very similar to the one they're going to play this week. Mm -hmm. Iowa wants this game to look a lot like the Michigan State-Purdue game last week. Purdue wants to do a, little, a lot more of what Penn State wants to do on offense. So... That's also going to be fascinating is each team gets to face the same kind of style of play that they just did last week, which you think would give you a preparation advantage. On the other hand, it was also each team's un undoing. So um, I, I think I'd be looking at little more X factors, you know, um, if uh, like Lincoln Riley having to come out today and address the Cleveland Browns coaching situation, um, is there, you know, if, 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 you know, Louisville's next two games, I think are Clemson and, uh, oh, somebody else who they're going to get destroyed by. Is there a situation where there, there's a story on Friday in the Louisville Courier Journal that says, um, if, uh, if Louisville, you know, gets destroyed by Clemson, sources say Petrina will be fired on Monday and all attention will turn to Jeff Brom. Right. I mean, I, I think this game is so even 
And each team is so kind of on a, on a knife's edge right now that anything at all that detracts from any, uh, any particular uh, distraction or anything that gives you a one or 2% edge. I really think this game is that close. Yeah. I'm already dreading having to make a prediction on Thursday. Seriously. I don't know what to think honestly about this. All right. That will do it for this installment of the HN podcast for Steve. I'm John. We'll talk to you soon.